Hello and welcome to the Wish You New Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bordvet. Thanks for tuning in and taking the time to stretch your perspectives. This week, I'm continuing on the political theme to follow the liberal-ish perspective from the last show. Mike speaks to us from a conservative perspective and touches on everything from racism, gun control, and climate change to leadership, parenting, and dialogue. I hope you enjoy all he has to offer. So thank you again for being willing to be on the Wish You New podcast. We are very happy to hear your perspectives. You bet. Thanks for asking me to be on here. How long have you been a voter? I've been a voter since 1978. And do you consider yourself conservative or liberal? Conservative. What are the key issues that you feel make you a conservative voter? Really that I want less federal government in my life. I want more decisions made on a local level, be it city, county, or state. I look at the government as like a big machine, and then it's, if you've ever worked for a big company like an IBM or something like that, the guys up on top have no idea what we guys at the bottom, what our lives are like. The smaller your, your bureaucracy, the, the better life you're going to have via your government. And are there specific programs that you would change to make a smaller government? Uh, you know, I haven't really thought specifically about it. i tell you there's one thing I would like to change, and one quick thing, and, and that's the uh, term limits for Congress and Senate. I feel that, again, uh, the reason a big company tends to lose track of its, of its uh, lower-level or entry-level employees is the guys on top have been on top for so long, they forget what they had to get go through to get to where they are. And I think it's the same thing with our congressmen and our senators, is that they get in there and make a career out of, out of being in, in D.C., and they completely forget what's going on with you, me, and all the people, all the little people down at our level. Programs, I don't know what programs I change, but if there's something I could change, it would be term limit for Congress and Senate. And it's funny because the, both my conservative and my liberal buddies all say the same thing. They all want term limits, but the guys that are sitting up there are the only ones that can really change it. And they, they're not going to change it because that's their job. And you're a conservative voter. Do you consider yourself a Republican? Yeah, I used to, and then I was pretty anti-Democrat, uh, although I did vote for Jimmy Carter, which I probably shouldn't say because people are going to hear this now, but uh, I did vote for Jimmy Carter when I was in college, but uh, other than that, I voted Republican strictly for the Republican Party until the second term when W was elected, and I liked W. W was our governor in Texas. He was a great governor, and I was very adept at, at working across party lines, but when he was nominated for his second term, in his acceptance speech, he declared what we have here is political capital. To me, that's the same thing as saying, ha, 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 I beat you. And I don't like that. And that was the day that I decided that, okay, this, this isn't right. I'm not a Republican. I'm a conservative. I'll probably vote Republican. But that was the day I really started being introspective about the Republican Party. And when I really started getting my, my own personal theme or whatever you want to call it of, okay, I'm, I'm not going to throw down so much on the other side is I need to find out, you know, is my side really the right side? And what I've come to realize through that epiphany is it really, there's not a lot of difference between the party leaders, the Democrats, and Republicans, is that they have a lot of the same agenda. They don't know what we're going through. I don't trust either one of them. So, so to your answer, I was Republican until Bush's beginning of his second term, and since then I, I'm absolutely, I would not call myself Republican conservative, yes, Republican, no. When we spoke previously, you mentioned how gun control was one of the things that factored into your political decision-making. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, things have changed a little bit since you and I talked. Uh, I am still very much against 
further gun control. I am for certain levels of gun control. I am not so much an NRA advocate as I am we need somebody to combat the people out there like Michael Bloomberg up in uh, New York who is spending millions of dollars to completely get rid of our guns. He doesn't want us having guns in any form or fashion. There's a lot of people like that, and that's not right. I, When you hear the uh, people screaming for getting rid of assault rifles and stuff like that, assault rifles, you know, we don't need to debate yay or nay on that, but the reality is, up until this year, uh, that we only had like 300 rifle deaths a year in America, and that's all kind of rifles. That's accidental, that's suicides, that's murders. And so spending all this time talking about eradicating rifles or assault rifles for 300 people a year really is so minimal, and I think it's pandering to votes. And when you and I previously talked, I had told you about how you hear nothing about suicides, and since you and I have talked a week ago, I've had two friends of mine kill themselves. That we see nothing about suicides and gun suicides on TV just really ticks me off. Because it tells me that these guys that want gun control, they don't care about gun control. They're looking for votes. And they're playing on people's passions. And we should have airwaves flooded with with getting rid of pistols, which are typically used in suicide. You never hear that. You should hear people on TV talking about, okay... We need, you know, if you feel like you're going to take your life or something akin to that, you need to call this number. We don't see any of that. So these people that are trying to control our guns, saying it's the right thing to do, they don't care about that. They're trying to get votes because they really cared about people. We'd be hearing about, you know, you know see ads that say, okay, if you have a child in, in their late teens, lock up your guns. See ads about, again, if you feel depressed or you need help or you want to take your life, call this number. We don't see any of that. All we see is, oh, we don't need assault rifles. So that, that's my, my passion on gun control. We, that kid that shot all those people in that South Carolina church, we had gun control measures that should have prevented him from getting that gun, and they didn't work. And the measures were simple. You fill out a form, you do a background check, it should come back if you've been indicted on a felony, and you don't get a gun. Well, the background check didn't work. Don't know what reason it didn't work, but it didn't work. You know, we've got measures in place to control guns. We don't use them. I do believe we need more measures to, uh, how much I say this, look into someone's mental past. Uh, I don't know how you do this without infringing on a freedom, but the, the guy that did, did the shootings here in Texas a couple weeks ago, he was very unstable. Everybody knew he was unstable, but he was still able to buy a gun. So work on laws to help us stop guys like that from getting guns. The biggest thing, you go back to, to my childhood, I was born in 1960. We never had school shootings until the 80s. You never had kids going into school and, and, and shooting their classmates. You never had church shootings like, like we had a couple of weeks ago down here. And you know, we don't have enough time, but, but there, there's, there's more to be investigated there. You don't hear anybody digging into why has our mentality changed. I remember last time you also spoke about the need for an incremental change instead of an all-or-nothing change. Mm-hmm. I think that will keep me online because you know how I tend to expand things. But, you know, there needs to be changes. But to just also say you can't do this, you can't do that, you know, people can't handle radical change. You know, I don't care if you're left or right. You, we cannot handle radical change. We feel assaulted. We feel like our freedom's being taken away. And you need to find out, or I, I guess need to develop some kind of a method in which, okay, maybe step one is, okay, let's look at the laws we have in the books for gun control. Our federal laws, and let's say, how can we make these better? How, you know, how 
I never heard anybody talk about that kid in South Carolina about, okay, where was the flaw in the system? How do we fix the flaw? We didn't fix nothing. We just, you know, argued about gun control, gun control, gun control. Nobody ever said, okay, he should not have been able to get those guns. You know, there's also, when I say incremental gun control, I have tried to find out how many guns are smuggled into the U.S. every year. Can't find any data, positive or negative, on that. I don't know why that is. But I do know that living in Texas, that there are lots of guns that come across the border from Mexico where you're not supposed to be able to own guns. And so that, kind of switching on you here, but that goes in the direction of, okay, if you do take away guns, the bad guys got guns, the good guys don't. So there's there's lots of things to be done right now as a first step to, to get some kind of a real gun control. Do I think you should ever take away guns? No, because I'm telling you, you know, especially down here with the drug cartels three, four hundred miles away, it will you're going to end up with a negative on the homicide side because once you take away guns from people like me and the folks that that are on the seedier side of life, no, we don't have any guns. You're going to see a lot lot more homicides than you already do. Well, first, I'm very sorry about your friends. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. It was it was a shock. This may lead you to the next topic, but one of them, the the one that was my age, his wife, she was some level of mental illness. She she 15 years ago kept telling everybody he could just try to kill me. He couldn't get her to go see a psychiatrist. He finally divorced her because of that. She still was was on him all the time, getting money from him, talking to him about things, just just ripping on him all the time. And then his youngest son, who was 23, evidently has something similar. And I think in his case that he was. Uh, an indirect victim of mental illness is that his son and his ex-wife were, were very unstable, and I think he just got to where he couldn't handle the two. And I say I'm going a different direction on you because we don't do anything to help the mentally ill either. And I'm telling you these things, you know, as we talked before, is, is that we have all these things that are in our face to go fix, but we're griping about all these other peripheral things. Uh, we're, we're not. I think the, the mental side of all our aspects is what really is the biggest problem we got, whether it's gun control drug use, divorce, everything. I think I think that there's something wrong with our, our mental makeup these days. And I don't know if it's food additives or drug use or stress or lousy Internet shows, terrible TV shows and movies. It may be just a bombardment of everything, but we need to look at what's going on to change our mentality because this, the, the, your makeup, my makeup, our friend's makeup, it's, it's completely different now than it was back when I was 19, 20, 21, 25. Yeah, it's interesting that mental health is one of those areas where it's always a gray area, and in politics we seem to just prefer to look at everything black and white, and so gray areas they tend to avoid. That, that may be, you may be hitting the, the nail on the head there too. Is, is it, that is it? Is it maybe it is that they don't want to they don't want to deal with with the gray areas that they want the black and white to polarize. Again, I, there's good politicians out there. I don't know how many, but I think so many of those guys they're they're just focused on getting reelected, and, and that's where. If you're a liberal, quit, quit griping about the conservatives. Look at your own guys. If you're conservative, quit griping about the liberals. Look at your own guys. Are they really doing what you want them to do? Because we, we don't hold these guys accountable. You know, whether it's Obama or Bush or Clinton or HW or, or even knucklehead in there now, is we don't go back and, and see, okay, did he really do what he promised? Is that If you go back to all those guys I just mentioned, does it, none of them did anything they said they were going to do. Very, very little. I shouldn't say nothing. But... All of those guys from, from HW forward did very little of what they promised during their campaign speeches. And, of course, they'll blame it on the, the Senate and Congress, which is a cop-out, but we do not hold our guys accountable. So you mentioned the guy we have in office now. As a conservative mm-hmm. voter, he's considered a conservative. What are your feelings on our current president? Uh, Well, the short version is I don't like him, but I'd vote for him again. 
I think he's pompous. You know, I use the word jerk. I think he's very unsympathetic. I think that he's egotistical. I do still believe that that, that ultimately his desires for this country are are better for me in this country than what Hillary's would have been. And uh, as I told you before, there was there was one prime reason I voted for him, and that was the open spot in the Supreme Court. Is that I was very scared that if we all of a sudden had five liberal justices in the Supreme Court, we could get radical change, and that that really bothers me because that body is not supposed to be political. And I've, I've done some research, and it looks like that the Supreme Court was pretty agnostic party-wise until during the Reagan years, and I can't remember why it was, but during the Reagan years is when you started seeing a polarization of the Supreme Court. It just bugs me when I see five to four votes before Justice Scalia died and then four to four votes after he died. It should not be that way. The one thing that I do see is that of the four, the four previous Supreme Court justices that were conservative, not kind of the new one, you would see of those four, three of those guys would jump and vote with the, the liberal side. So that's what should be happening more. But I, the, the liberal justices never vote a conservative view on anything. And that just bothers me. Those those guys are supposed to be the gatekeepers to keep liberals and conservatives and Republicans and Democrats from, from just ruling it in their own way. Instead, they've just become a mouthpiece for the parties. And that bugs me. But to your point, that was the primary reason I voted for Trump. The secondary reason was that in my business, uh, in telecommunications, when NAFTA got signed into effect, and that was a bipartisan, what do you want to call it, agreement, so to speak. That was Bill Clinton with a conservative House and, and Congress, or conservative House and Senate, that ratified NAFTA. And what NAFTA did in my business, it sent thousands of jobs to Mexico. And these were jobs that were with companies that were making bukus of money. And if the only reason these jobs were sent to Mexico was to make even more bukus of money, and thousands of people were laid off in telecom. And my understanding of this Trans-Pacific Agreement that, that's been hanging out there, Hillary was for that, and I saw that as being just another way that we were going to lose more jobs. And so those are the two primary reasons I voted for Trump. Uh, I do think also he understands that we need some kind of repayment from countries when we have to use our military to, to, to bail them out. I'm not saying rake them over the coals. I'm not saying make a mint, but we need some kind of help. Every time we have a military excursion that's worldwide, we're 75 to 90 percent of the military. We cannot afford to keep doing that. Trump understands also the, uh, what do you call it, the trade, I forgot what you call it, the trade deficit. Is it why are we not tariffing more products coming to this country in order to save jobs or at least make more money for the government here to help people that don't have jobs? I don't think that the Democratic Party has a good hold on any of those topics. I don't think the Democratic Party has a good understanding of economics because you look at, I looked up a few months ago, the, the, the 10 states with the worst debt ratio, or of the 10 states, the worst debt ratio, eight of them were, were overwhelmingly Democratic run. And I think the Democratic Party has gotten into a pattern of, we're going to help whoever we can, wherever we can, no matter what the cost. And you can't afford to do that. We, we're not a country that's, we're wealthy, but we don't have infinite wealth. And I think that's what scares me more than anything about the Democratic Party, is that they don't find proper means of financing different programs. That's the whole, I don't want to blow it up again, but that's the whole problem with Obamacare, was the funding. Find a better way to fund these things. My wife's a teacher. Schools in Texas are having all kinds of funding problems because they're spending lots of money on frivolous programs that they don't have the money to spend. 
So again, I blew it up on you. Sorry about that. You mentioned the justices and some of the other issues that motivate your vote. Are your politics motivated more by how policies affect your family or some larger segment of society? It's funny. It used to be a larger segment. Now it's my family. That's only been the last few years uh, that I've come up with that with, with changing my gears. You know, I notice when people say, oh, W stinks, Obama stinks, Senior Bush stinks, Senior Clinton stinks. Ask them why. You're not going to get an answer most of Well, he just does. He's a communist. He's a socialist. He's, he's, a, he's a billionaire, whatever. People don't have a real reason. And, and so when that hit me a couple of years ago, I'm like, okay, I wasn't a big fan of Obama's. I don't think he was trying to radically change the country or, or mess the country up. But I thought, okay, why do I why do I not like Obama? Well, a couple of things. One, I used to get a tax credit for my kids. That was $2,000 per kid per year. I got three kids. That was $6,000 in my pocket every year. Bush started that. That helped me immensely. Uh, Obama let that thing fade and, and never turn back. And all of a sudden, I went from getting a check back every year after my taxes to where I'm paying. I'm paying additional taxes every year that I didn't have to pay before. The Obamacare thing, although I know it was good in inception, because of the way that it was financed, my health care premiums, although good, they have more than doubled in the last three years. And it's because the health care companies are just passing down their costs to guys like me. I was talking to a guy the other day that with his, uh, he had personal private insurance. And since Obamacare, it's gone from 1000 to $1,700 a month. Health care and the tax credit, that's how policies have affected me. Okay, so we were talking about health insurance. There were a couple of questions that listeners asked specifically about health insurance. One of them said, why push for socialized health care with Trump care when a free market system could be easier to access and make the health care companies compete for people's payments, just like with school loans? When the government's imaginary bottomless money bags get involved, prices everywhere go up and the national debt increases. Wouldn't it be more fiscally conservative to just stay out of it? See, I think the government to some level needs to, to give us some kind of health care. Everything you just said to me is extremely complicated, and I don't think any of us are going to figure that out. But there's different phases or different levels of health care, and I do think the government needs to, to get involved at some level. I don't know where that where the line stops, but, you know, like the, the little medical clinics that are out there now, uh, they're fairly affordable. I'm okay if the government wants to open up its own little health care clinics, especially for areas where people may not be able to afford health care. Why not do that? And then when I say a clinic, I'm talking about, you know, colds, coughs, stitches, maybe minor broken bones, you know, stuff like that. Because, again, there's lots of people that can't afford it. Now, that said... In Texas, we have we have our own ways here of, of helping folks. I know Dallas County, if you live in Dallas County and you're indigent, you can go to Parkland Hospital and get free health care. We already had that. You had certain things like Planned Parenthood that had a lot of women. I forgot the number. It was many millions of women that used Planned Parenthood for their, their regular doctor. Their OB-GYN was their regular doctor. And when Obamacare came out, I didn't see any kind of inclusion in that. Now, that said... That may be, to me, that almost says that, okay, maybe the Fed needs to come up with some kind of a base level or fundamental level of health care that they will take care of for the rest of the country. That's not going to include surgeries. That's not going to include, could include mental health care, but that the Fed could take care of one version and then let the Fed work with the states and see what the states already got. Because I know Texas is a wealthy state compared to a lot of states. Texas and New Mexico. New Mexico is very downtrodden. They don't have a lot of commerce. There's a lot of desert there. So, you know, Texas can get one level of assistance from the Fed to take care of its people that can't take care of themselves. New Mexico needs a, a higher level of help from the Fed. 
And that's the way this thing's supposed to work, is that the states do their own thing, and then they get help and guidance from the Fed. So to answer your question, I think the Fed needs to be involved to some level. I think one thing that Obamacare really missed on is that I never saw any interaction between CEOs of healthcare companies in the government, and there are good CEOs out there, and get their ideas. There's a lot of these guys that got into healthcare got in for the right reason, but they want to help people. They're rich now, so now it's all about the money, but get that the government doesn't ever ask for enough assistance or advice from the private sector, from the business sector. So again, I think the government needs to be involved somewhat with, with, with health care and as far as giving us a fundamental base level health care. There needs to be some really serious investigation on the entire healthcare business. I had, a, had a, one of my sons worked in D.C. this last summer uh, as, a, as an intern to a senator, and he told me when he got back, he says, Dad, nobody up there knows anything about healthcare, and they don't talk to anybody in healthcare. And I think that that's really a predominant thing up in D.C. is that they dream up what they want, what they think is best for us without really talking to us. We end up having to deal with their ideologies. Another person had asked a question about health insurance, which I think you sort of already touched on. They say the poorest of the poor are covered by Medicaid. It's the working poor that can't afford insurance. What's wrong with a single-payer system that keeps health care providers private but ensures that everyone is able to access those providers, a la police and firefighters, via taxes? I, uh, again, the, the whole single provider and all that stuff, that confuses me because I really... I've, I've been fortunate to have really good health care for the last 26 years through my company. I'm probably going to go a little tangential on you here. I know of companies that are $20 million or less, and the employees are happy, they're well paid, and their owner makes a lot of money, and he pays for their insurance, 100%. And I do not understand why our government doesn't dig into companies like that and find out, okay, how do I get and IBM, if that's the case, well, how do I get IBM to pay for its company's, its employees' insurance? How do I get AT&T to pay for its company's insurance? You find out what, what does it take to incent uh, a business owner to pay for his insurance. In the meantime, that's, that's uh, attack prong one. In the meantime, dig into the healthcare systems and find out. I've, I've done some digging there that if you go look at the different healthcare providers out there, like United Healthcare. Aetna. You look at those guys, a lot of their senior guys don't make a huge amount of money, but you will find other com- other healthcare providers that do, their, their guys are making 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year. How do you drive down their costs? You know, you know, can a hospital per se, can a hospital go ahead and just offer its own insurance for all of its doctors or for all, people like you and me that if we go to this hospital's doctor staff and it's, it's surgical staff that we get some kind of a deal and we have insurance to the individual hospital? I'd love to have something like that because where I live, we got a hospital down the street, and I'm probably not going to go you know, anywhere else the rest of my life other than live in this area. It would be great to have insurance just with this hospital. So, again, we're very close-minded. Again, the single-payer and socialized and all that stuff, I, I, I kind of look past that. It's, it's time to move past that. You know, Look around the world and see what else works. I think what you're probably going to find out is that countries that have really great health care have really high tax rates. Take that up. Look at one of those st- those countries and dismantle that system and see why is that tax rate so high. Because really here in our country, because of the wealth we have in this country, we shouldn't have to have super high tax rates to have just a base level of health care. You mentioned the tax rates. What is your feeling on the current tax system and the tiers or groups or whatever you want to call them? I am sort of okay with where I'm at. I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't get a lot of deductions. Well, it takes, it takes a lot to get deductions. 
I would say that I am probably in the lower end of the middle class, family gross revenue. And I ended up paying about 13% of, of me and Linda's total pay to federal income tax every year, and another 8% to Social Security. So roll that up. What's that? 21%. So a fifth of our money that we make goes to the government. I am sort of okay with that. I'd like it to be less. But I hear things like Mitt Romney. I voted for Mitt. I like Mitt, but I knew he wasn't going to win, but I voted for him. But I heard that his his final tax payout was 14%, the same or less than mine. And that's wrong. You know, Donald Trump, it bothered me immensely that he won't show his tax returns. Because I I guarantee you, you're going to find he paid a less percent than me. That's what I don't like. I have one friend, owns a company. His annual revenue is about a million and a half dollars a year. He pays 35%. And he is perfectly happy paying that. And that's what I think needs to happen. All these guys that make the money, you know, I know they have all kind of, uh, of uh, charities they get you, like a Bill Gates. I know Bill is, is, is supposed to be a, a huge uh, philanthropist and does lots of stuff to help folks out, as does Mark Zuckerberg. You know, look at those guys and see what is their final tax rate. I tell you another problem, too, Karen, is that and this is this is a secondary issue that made me want to vote for Trump. You have a lot of companies. Halliburton is one I know of that their corporate headquarters have been moved offshore, a lot of them to the Bahamas, to avoid paying billions of dollars of corporate income tax. Trump has said he's going to take care of that, fix that, repatriate some of that money, get that money back here. And I think that that's the way it should be. You have individual tax rates where I think that the, the higher level folks are making millions and billions of dollars, that their their deductions should be minimized to where they are paying, a, you know, if they're bringing in a $100 million a year, I think they should be paying $30 million in tax. Just as well, these big companies, these corporations that are moving offshore and not paying U.S. corporate tax, that they're also gaining revenues from overseas and not paying tax on that, I think that needs to be looked into. Because, again, my personal feeling is that we are in a country that we're okay now, but we're going broke. That needs to be fixed. So you've mentioned on some of these policy issues, some of your perspectives seem less conservative than I think may be expected. What are two or three uh, things that you appreciate about the Democratic Party? Well, you go, there's there's the party, and then there's the people. Is that it's, two, it's not the same. Just like the Republican Party is not the same as Republican people. That if the, the people of both parties are almost the same. The Democratic Party does want to sit there, and, and I think, although I think the Republican Party doesn't want to throw poor people out into the cold, the Democratic Party wants to look after those who need help. I mean, that, that to me, that, that I've always been raised that the Democratic Party was the party of the people. When you really look at the results, I don't think it is. But, you know, I, I, I like the Democrats outside of the, the top level people, which is the Obamas and the Clintons and then some of those guys. They, the, a lot of the, the Democratic senators and congressmen, they, they are looking to do what's best for the people. Think that they are run over by their own party, they're run over by the Republicans, but the Democratic, the Democratic Party's credo has always been we're looking out for those who can't look out for themselves. So that's what I like about the Democratic Party. And I, and I, you know, I've got some older friends that are in their 60s and 70s that are Democrats, and we have great talks. And can't tell you how many times that I've talked to these guys, two guys, uh, one of them is actually from Wales, but we've talked, we've had our little talks, and I said, we get things figured out. Not that darn dirty Democrat, that darn dirty Republican. We're able to sit there and, go and understand each other's feelings and make things happen. So to your answer to your question is that the Democrats, I think, are more sympathetic to the needs of, of those in need. 
think they're more understanding that, that people just need help. On the other side of that coin, what are some of the challenges you see in the Republican Party? Again, understanding at my level, understanding that the party's not what you think it is. You know, to me, that if the Republican Party, not Republican voters or conservative voters, if the Republican Party, if they don't understand that they have a serious problem once Donald Trump got elected, then they're they're done for. I think the Republicans did somewhat figure out. Okay, wait a minute. You know how did how did Donald beat us? We're professional politicians. So, but I still think that the Republican Party has uh, it's lost touch with with the people more so than the Democratic Party. The Republican Party does a terrible job of communicating its platform to the people. You know, there's how the Republican Party didn't you know, back up. The Republican Party gets gets trashed a lot for being uh, anti-minority. Well, you go back and look at, at W, he had Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell as some of his senior people. How the Republicans didn't beat their chest more on that. And oh, by the way, I would vote for Condoleezza Rice for president. I wish she'd run, but that's a different story. But the Republicans do an awful job of fending off attacks by Democrats when it comes to things like minority issues or LGBT issues. You know, how the Republican Party doesn't understand the need for even more racial diversity. Go back to when Herman Cain ran for president a few term or a few uh, elections back. A lot of people that I know love that guy. And here's an African-American running for presidency for the Republican Party. And a lot of people wanted that guy in the White House. And what happens? The Republican Party smears him. The, the, the seniors Republican Party, they did not want an African-American. They didn't want Herman Cain. And so they started digging up dirt on him. And he, he you know, to his credit, said, you know what? I'm not putting my family through this. I've done my best. I'm out of here. You know, I think both parties, they need to get over this. I'm pandering for both and just do the right thing. I don't really, you know, the people that are conservative and liberal, you know, a conservative is never going to believe like a liberal. A liberal is never going to believe like a conservative. There are emotional differences in the two people. And we just have to get back to accepting that those other guys are different and it's okay to be different. The parties have to understand that. And the only way they're going to understand it is if all those folks out there start demanding for it or we start, you know, hopefully Trump is a, is a segue into an even, you know, to a better president, a more understanding president next time around. I want to get back to those divides that you're alluding to in the country. But first, one thing I have noticed after this last election dealing with race is that Mm -hmm. there seems to be a contingent of people that have started to think that Republican is analogous with white supremacist. How do Mm -hmm. you respond to that? Uh, The same thing I told you today. It's the same thing as saying if you're German, you're a Nazi. That's just stupid. When I heard that come out, I, 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 I will go down somebody's throat if they ever tell me that, that that's that's absolutely ludicrous anybody that says that all they're trying to do is stir the pot up they don't care about really coming to some kind of a compromise and they don't understand i tell you they don't understand what a white supremacist is you know, first off there's not that many white supremacists in this country they're dying their ranks are with every generation passing people that believe like that are getting smaller and smaller when we had this thing happen the other day in the Carolinas where you had somebody nudging the KKK, that was just a, a bad move because all of a sudden you created a, a, horrific, a horrific event that gave those guys some voice. You know, I tell you what, in my life I've met two guys that were quote-unquote card-carrying members of the, of the KKK, and they were both from Michigan. So it's not something that's all, that this is just the South. Uh, and one of those guys was a Democrat, by the way, now that I think about it. But... You know, the white supremacists, unfortunately, in a country where we've got freedom, we have to allow those guys to have their voice. 
we don't have to put them on TV like we do. We just need to ignore them and just laugh at them because they are laughable. A lot of them, when you see them, they're just ignorant people. Ignorant people do ignorant things. Ignorant people are easily led. But again, if somebody said, oh, you're a Republican, you're a white supremacist, you know, I'm not sure what the analogy would be, but, uh, you know, that that's the same as if I'm saying if you're, you're, you're a Democrat, you want to kill every Republican, I guess. I can't think of a better analogy, but it, to make a sweeping assumption like that is pathetic. So we've spoken about a lot of different things. You have been voting for quite a while. How have you seen the party change or the parties change or the political environment change in those years? The Going back to when I first voted, come out of high school, you didn't have this hatred that you got now. It's a vile hatred. You know, when uh, I watched the, the last presidential debates and all the, the leading up to the election, you know, Hillary, she initially had the right idea. She was going to take the high road, she said, and not attack Trump. Well, I don't think Trump's smart enough to have done this on purpose, but it, 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 at some point he attacked enough to where she felt she had to re- uh, return the attack, and I think that cost her. I don't know if it cost her the election, but I think it cost her votes because she stooped to his level, but I also think that she's no different than him. Uh, she's just a little more tactful in how she says things. But the parties, from when I was younger, they're, I don't think that the, the big boys understand how much when they are just, just ripping on the other guy, whether it's digging into email situations, digging into Russia situations. I don't think how much they realize they are lighting up the public. I absolutely believe that the anti-Republican rhetoric that's on the news is part of the reason that that, that fellow started taking shots at congressman back in D.C. a few months ago. I really believe this guy in Vegas, everything I see says that he was a, a, a liberal, and I think that if they ever can find up evidence, I think they'll find out that he was targeting conservatives. And I guarantee you, he has been brainwashed by what he sees in the media, what he sees in the news, that he probably watches CNN and MSNBC, and he sees all these anti-Republican things, and that helps him pushes him over the edge and he pulls the trigger shooting conservatives. I'm not saying this is something that is specific to liberals attacking conservatives. I think that everybody out there, if you are one who follows a liberal media or you follow a conservative media and you're not looking at it skeptically, I think you can be easily brainwashed. Because if you turn on any of those stations, Fox... It's, it's vile. If you watch a Sean Hannity, he'll rip on Democrats. You watch a Rachel Maddow or Chris Matthews, they rip on Republicans. And, you know, you think about somebody who's a little on the edge anyway. Life's more stressful than it used to be. And somebody's on the edge, and they're here, and it's this, this celebrity or this TV pundit that they like to watch say, those guys are awful, they're vile. At some point, people are going to snap and bad things are going to happen. So this vicious hatred of the other party was never there when I was younger. Uh, again, it, it, I don't know if it started, if it started doing, I don't, I don't see it there during HW's years, but again, because I'm on the right, maybe I missed it. It seemed to start during Clinton's years. Uh, I don't think Clinton did anything specific, but the level of, of, again, aggression from one party towards the other, it definitely changed somewhere around the Clinton and W. Bush years and then just gotten worse with Obama. Now it's awful. How do you think we address that? You mentioned the media specifically, but are there other ways? I think I think that the, the biggest thing, I don't think we've had a real leader for a long time. I'm biased. I thought Reagan was a good leader, but again, I was in my 20s, so I, I need to throw that out. I thought H.W. was a pretty good leader because I don't remember hearing a lot of harsh talk out of him. But ever since him, I think all the leaders, and it's gotten worse with everyone, especially the guy you got now, I think that they, they're fine with, okay, my half of the country won, ha, 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 we beat you. Uh, even going to our sports, you know, our, our sports teams is that uh, coming in second is not acceptable anymore. That's pathetic. Again, I told you last time that old that, uh, Will Ferrell movie, 
if you ain't first, you're last. That's funny, but it's an awful statement when you take it in, in context. We need, I think things could fix, we could fix things really well if we could get a president up there that says, okay, look, it's time to shut this bitterness down. You get a president up there that really leads. And, and Obama didn't lead. Obviously, Trump doesn't lead. W, I thought, had a chance, but really his his puppet masters, Rumsfeld and, and, and Cheney and such, they really are the ones that, that were the mouthpieces back then. And Clinton, I don't think any of those guys ever said, hey, guys, we got to get together on this. You need a guy in there right now, as soon as possible, up on the hill that says, okay, this hatred has got to stop. We are Americans. We're not Democrats. We're not liberals. We're not conservatives. We're not Republicans. This has got to stop. We have to figure out ways to work together. And guess what? You're not going to win every time. I'll tell you, that, I think that's the point right there, Karen, is that we are so used to win, win, win. Is it nobody knows how to lose? Nobody understands you're going to lose sometimes, whether it's wanting to change the, change the votes after you voted and there's a hanging chad. You know what? That's the problem. You don't, you don't change the rules after the fight just because you lost. And I think that's the biggest problem in our country right now, both with young folks and folks my age, is that we have lost humility. We don't understand that you're going to lose, and we don't know how to deal with that. So, again, to your question, I, I think that you can change things really quick if you've got a president in there that would say those things. The only way to stop the media is to quit watching it, and I just don't see that happening anytime soon. At some point, people are going to get fed up with it. I think Trump, with his is over-tweeting. I think he actually does want to, he's trying to control the media, but that's the wrong way to do it. You know, to me, the right way to do it is to create a media outlet that is all positive. I tell you what, if you ever want to watch good news, watch BBC News Channel, because there's no left or right when they report the news. It's just the news. And I think that that might be one way to shut down the, the biased media outlets is by having somebody or a government or whatever start a, uh, what do you want to call it, a, a neutral media outlet where it's not left or right or you have if you're going to have political shows you have left and right discussing things but not in an aggressive manner that's they're all ultimately everything you see on tv everything you see out of the white house those guys are the role models whether they like it or not and they're teaching us how to be crummy people you mentioned a lot of things i want to follow up on in that last answer how do you think we address those issues with being able to lose gracefully or compromise now, these are just my opinions. I've got nothing to base this on. I, I think that the family unit's a big problem. Divorce rates are up. Going back to when I grew up, the dual-income family really took off in the 70s. I think that I don't care if it's mother or father, but I think that if one of those two can stay home and take care of the house and be more with the kids, I think that changes a lot of things. It's not as minor as people make it think, but the whole everybody get the feel-good trophy, that's part of it. Just, just having the talk with your kids that, hey, guess what? You can't win every time. You don't have to like losing, but you can't win every time. And, you know, if, if you're going to go play a ball game and you get beat, whether it's by one or by a hundred, you know what? The other guy did something a little better than you. It's okay to not be as good as somebody on any particular day. It's okay that I can dunk a basketball and you can't. It's okay that, that that guy can make a 2400 on his SAT and I can only make a 1500. We have to understand that, you know, you can't win every time. And I think it starts at childhood. I, I think that as soon as you know, I can think back about, oh, well, my kids were, my oldest or my youngest was four or five or six, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, in the ball game we don't keep score. We don't want them to feel bad. I'm like, wait a minute. If you're six years old and, and you're worried about your six-year-old feeling bad because you got beat in a baseball game 25 to nothing, there's a problem because that's nothing. We put so much of a emphasis on winning at all costs. You turn on the TV, and it's sports, it's movies, it's TV shows, it's debates, it's everything. It's, we become a win-at-all-cost society, and nobody, whether you're eight, 18 or 88, wants to lose or knows how to lose anymore. And I think that the only way you fix this is, is you start with with the, the, the all of us when we're little, when we're young. And 
again, when you've got politicians doing stupid things like they have been for the last 30 years, you got athletes doing stupid things like they've been the last 30 years, you're giving kids a reason, and then you get the family problems, and you get kids a reason to grow up and, and think, okay, I'm winning every time. And if I if I lose, I'll find a way to change the rules. Or, you know, like some of these, these awful school shootings, it's where the, the shooters were just like, okay, I'll show them. I'll get even with them. I'll shoot them. All right, that's, that's wonderful. Way to go. And that, that's not how you resolve conflict, but that's all they know. You mentioned our need for a good leader in this country. In the last election cycle, in the primaries, did you see some folks that stood out as potential good leaders? Absolutely. He lasted about 10 minutes on the first Democratic Democratic debate, and that was Admiral Jim Webb. As that uh, He was in that first debate with Hillary and burning everybody, and, and after the debate, well, first off, during the debate, I thought, well, this guy's presidential, because he talked about, hey, we got a problem here. We need to get together. We need to work together. And he was calm. He was cool. He was collected. He didn't attack anybody. Who knows? He may have faltered later on, but he never got a chance because he said after that, that first debate, he goes, the Democratic Party is not going to let me win this election. That tells me a lot right there. Is it, here's a guy who, who at least on the, the surface was somebody I absolutely could have voted for regardless of the party and said the right things, obviously has a respect for the military being a retired admiral, and he never got a chance. So I want to talk a little bit about religion now. For many people, that is a motivating factor in their politics. How does that factor in for you? I would not want to vote for an atheist or an agnostic. That's probably about it. I might have had a problem with someone who was a non-Christian religion, but then I've got some friends now that are Muslims, so I, that wouldn't bother me either anymore. But yeah, that's my only factors is that I, I don't want somebody in there that, that has no religion. Some folks may argue with me that there should be a separation between state and uh, church, but that's my, my, that's my privilege. That's my, uh, option. If I want to put that in my, my voting criteria, I can. If somebody wants to, to say I, religion plays no part in my vote, that's fine too. That's their, that's their freedom. Now some more policy questions. Okay. Somebody asked about trickle down economics. They said, why do you, I guess Republican or conservative voter, continue to support trickle down economics and the idea that cutting taxes on the wealthy somehow helps you? Okay. So here's, since you brought this up the last time we talked. So, again, finding data regarding all this stuff, is, is you'd think it'd be easy with the Internet, and it's not, which tells me that it's either the data is hidden or there's not a lot of people checking in on it. But to me, there's two versions of, of uh, trickle-down taxation. There's the corporate taxation and there's the individual taxation. Back to what I said earlier, I think that if a guy's making, if, if, if Joe Schmoe's making $100 million a year, he darn sure better be paying 25 or $30 million a year in taxes and Social Security. If a company is making $100 million a year, then that's different. I, I think go ahead and maybe give them a cut and see what happens. I think too many times we give breaks to a company or to a billionaire or millionaire, and nobody ever follows up to see what worked. And I don't understand that. I don't understand. You know, those guys make the laws. You can say, okay, I'm going to cut taxes to every company that revenues over $5 billion as long as, and then say they pay for health care for employees, they do this, they do that. I don't understand why we just come out and give carte blanche to a billionaire or a billion-dollar company and say we're going to cut taxes. Do I think that cutting taxes to either of those entities works to some, some level? Yeah. But to what level? Who knows? So, again, when you talk about the trickle-down economics theory, nobody can really tell you if it works or not. 
Because you, you, you can, you know, what do they say about the, the, the numbers lie or something like that? You know, any good accountant can make anything look good or bad with the numbers. And we should have policies in place that, okay, we're going to give these companies this tax break. However, this is what we expect out of this. And, and put the rule down there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd love to see what other companies like maybe Japan does when it comes to their uh, their uh, corporate taxation, their their mega millionaire taxation. See what they do. But I do know that in this country, the span between CEO and lowest level employee income is the worst in the world by far, and it's getting exponentially worse the last 10, 20 years. So, yeah, do I think trickle down works, or do I like it? I kind of do, but nobody can really tell me if it works or not. So figure out ways. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to figure out ways to see if, if something works. And, again, if nothing else, Obama getting elected shows us that you can do things in a hurry. Before Obama, I'm sorry, Trump, that before Trump got elected, I thought, okay, nothing happens fast in this country. Nothing happens fast in, in, in D.C. Well, if nothing else, he showed you he can make changes real fast. So go ahead and put a law in place that it's supposed to either give a big company or a billionaire a tax break and see if it really works for the society. And if it doesn't work, you take it away the next year and try something else. There's no reason we shouldn't have that approach in our politics and in our economics. Another listener asked, as someone who understands the American dream and keeping government small, is it still possible to apply some support for the people who need it through some social programs run by the government where the churches and charities and citizens have neglected? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, again, we have so many frontiers out there we're not taking advantage of. And we seem, you know, if it, one of the things I can't stand about all this bickering is that all the time and money we're wasting griping about things instead of, Doing something like what you're talking about, you know the I've heard that the the investigation into Trump and uh, the Russian connections is now up to two hundred million dollars in cost for the government. Two hundred million dollars would take care of a really nice social program to help maybe people getting into business or a business loan program. You know, I, I don't I don't get it. Uh, we should be way better than we are, and we focus on the negative, we focus on the hate. We focus on, I hate the other party, make them go away, instead of, okay, guys, let's get past this and make this stuff work. So, yeah, we, we should be able to have social programs to help folks get in the business. You know, I've, I've known several people that, that tried the restaurant business, and you could tell from week one they were doomed, that they didn't have anybody to help or any kind of avenue to go ask for help or ask for, you know, maybe the government needs to have business consultants, you know, have government paid business consultants. I'll tell you what, uh, this is this is my great idea at the moment, is guys like me that are looking to, to semi-retire early and have been in business for a while, go out and find guys in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, pay them twenty four, dollars $30,000 a year, pay them 25 or 50 bucks an hour to go talk to the people that are wanting to open up a business and say, okay, this is what you need to do. This is a mistake. Don't do this. And then have some entity they report back to. So, you know, just, just again, the it ticks me off of the lack of inventiveness that our government has to do things like what you're talking about. I don't understand why we're not more forward thinking like that, especially with the, with the Internet. To do things like you're talking about should be simple. But, again, we're so focused on the negative. The same person also asked a little bit about the regulations and restrictions on churches and how you feel about that. They say perhaps removing the regulations and restrictions on the charities and churches would help them take care of those in need that most people would neglect, thus avoiding governmental intervention. I did not. I do not know of any any kind of restrictions on any kind of church to help the needy. If there is some, well, that's awful. They should, you know, if a church wants to help somebody, 
by all means they should. I don't know anything about that. The only thing I know in regards to church and in regards to government is that is the, the talks of taking away some of the, the church's tax, their tax incentives or, or, or their, their lack of taxation. That's the only thing I know. I've heard of places of certain government officials saying, oh, we need to be taxing this church and that church. I guess it gets to that question. I don't have a lot of knowledge on that. But if a church, if a church has money and they want to go help somebody, why would you stop them? Another hot topic policy issue is about climate change. Someone asked, what is it about climate change, environmental protections, and financially supporting green energy that you are opposed to? Okay, so first off, is there climate change? There's absolute climate change because last weekend it hit 94 degrees in Dallas in November, and Dallas has never seen over 90 in November as long as they've had a thermometer sitting in Dallas. So don't tell me there's not a climate change. I don't think it's as radically moving as people say it is, but there's definitely an issue going on. The two things I've got specific to doing something about it, I know Trump has pulled us out of the what is it, the Paris Environmental Accords or something like that, and on the outside, it seems like a dumb thing to do to liberals. Why would we not be a part of that? But the, the Paris, whatever this thing is, it doesn't really do anything. It's really for show. It doesn't make any country do anything. China is 30% of the world's, we call it the hydrocarbon emissions, and that's, that's from a wiki report I looked at the other day. The U.S. is 15%. You know, specific to China, I don't know that they're doing anything just to stop their emissions. I had a friend that worked over there a couple years ago. And she said that they just dump their sewage into the rivers that people swim and drink out of. There's smoke and smog everywhere. They don't have a lot of cars just because people can't afford them and they couldn't move anyway because it's so crowded. But China's not doing a lot of stuff to curb their emissions. In the States, I do know that both W and Obama earmarked billions to companies that are supposed to be looking for alternative energy, whether it's for home energy or ways to, to power cars. And those programs all failed. And it, from the outset or from the outside looking in, it looks like the government got scammed. You know, I can't remember the name of one that Obama gave $600 million to, but it really looked like the guys took the money and ran. There's something wrong with that, is that there should be people in jail for that, but there's not. Not an Obama problem. It's just something that should be looked into. I know that we have had the capability since the late 90s to power cars in various ways, particularly hydrogen fuel cells. And a hydrogen fuel cell, the only exhaust from a hydrogen fuel cell is water. Why do we not have more uh, work toward that end? Tell you why, it's because the oil companies and the auto companies make so much dang money. So the means are there. First off, yes, there is a problem with, with the climate. There is climate change. Secondly, the things that we can do to help, we're not doing. And that's not a Republican or Democrat thing. Us. Both parties could be involved in it, and neither party is. So there you go. I know you mentioned last time a bit about the oil pipeline and that situation. Could you speak about that? Yeah, I get it. First off. I understand people not wanting to run that pipeline. I think, and I think we're talking about the, the, the trans, what is it, trans North American or trans American pipeline. I get it that folks don't want to run that, but then when I see how they construct it, it's up in the air, so it's elevated. It's not getting away of any animals. It's not, it's not harming animals. I understand the paranoia that, uh oh, what if we have a break in the line? But I don't know that we've ever had a break in, in a, a land built oil line. So. I, I sympathize with folks that don't want it, but if it's helping our economy, if it's helping us to be less reliant on other countries, I'm all for it. If it's helping us with jobs, I'm all for it. So again, I, I, I don't know why we again we just we can't compromise. I don't understand why there's there's not a compromise in there. 
Speaking of compromise, someone asked why compromise on the Second Amendment? Shouldn't the rights of people never be infringed as to prevent tyranny and protect the freedom of each individual from an overreaching state despite what tragedies happen? The Second Amendment, I think it's misunderstood, but I think as it, as it applies to today, people try to generalize it. you got different shootings today. you got, well, first off, you never hear about inner-city homicides, which are typically... Since they typically the majority of inner city uh, homicides are African Americans killing African Americans with legal or illegally owned pistols, handguns. We never hear anything about that. So you have you have to, to look at that aspect. You have to look at the the Vegas shootings. You got to look at the school shootings. You got to look at the ISIS shootings. There's all these things out there. The uh, and look at the you know like I mentioned the drug shootings in Texas is that you've got all these different avenues where guns are used in the most horrific negative way, but the whole reason we got the Second Amendment is to protect us from the government. And if anybody thinks that, that, that our government's never going to turn on us, you can't, you can't do that. You're letting your guard down. Our current government won't, but who's to say, what if we had four or five more Donald Trumps and they kept getting more egotistical? Who knows? You want to live in a country with, with Donald Trump's great-great-grandson and not be able to have a gun? And uh, the wife and I were in Boston last year. We took a tour of, of the Lexington and Concord battlefields, which is where the, the Revolutionary War started. I didn't realize, and I'm a history buff, I didn't realize the whole reason the British came to, to, to Concord was to steal our, not steal, to appropriate our guns that they kept in an armory up there. That's where the Second Amendment, the base of the Second Amendment was on that one act, that the British were coming to take away our guns to prevent us from defending ourselves. Ultimately, again, the, the Second Amendment is about giving us guns to take care of ourselves, Back on the gun control thing is, is it's not a, a quick fix. And again, these horrific shootings we're having now, we didn't have these before the 80s. We didn't have them at all. So back to our previous talk is that, you know, what's changed about us as the people? Because it ain't the guns. Because guns were way easier, way easier to get before 1980 than they are now. And we've got way more shootings now that, that are of the sensational nature than we did before 1980. So, yeah, the Second Amendment, can we look at it? Yeah, I think we do. Uh, I think we need to work on some of our existing limits as far as how we enforce them. But ultimately, we should never be able to be prohibited from having a gun to protect ourselves. Especially as I get older and I live somewhat in an isolated area, I don't want to think about if I was living out here and I couldn't, if everybody knew I did not have a gun. So last few questions. The last sort of policy question I have for you is what are your perspectives on immigration policy? Okay, so I live in Texas. That's a huge issue down here. When you say policy, I'm going to include the, the quote-unquote wall in this talk. I am on the fence about the wall. I know that drugs flow freely between North and South, I mean between Mexico and Texas. I have a lot of Hispanic friends that have told me in very specific terms how the drugs get here. A lot of those drugs, that fence is going to do, that wall is going to do nothing. The folks that sneak up here to work, and there's thousands, ten thousand, hundred thousand, millions of them sneak up here to work. The wall will prevent them from coming up here. That will absolutely, I won't say crush, but it'll severely impact the Texas economy. Because right now, with all of our uh, hurricane and other disaster issues we've had the last few months, there are people putting on roofs day in and day out. You hear nail guns going until you know eight, nine o'clock at night, putting on new roofs. The majority of those guys install those roofs are, are not legal residents. So specific to the wall, the wall is a nice idea. It's maybe a nice threat to Mexico because there's a huge trade deficit between them and us. 
Maybe that's a negotiating ploy. I don't know. But the wall, again, uh, outside of employing a bunch of people for a few years, I don't know if the wall is a good idea. Policy-wise, I have a very good friend who was born in Mexico, and it took him, I think, it said seven years to become legal, and he had to pay somebody $10,000. Why does it take seven years to become a legal resident of Texas or America? Why does it cost you $10,000? He then tells me that he could expedite it, but he didn't have $50,000. Where I'm headed with this is there is a lot of corruption when it comes to border officials that handle such affairs as this. I think that we need to look at our laws. Why does it take? I understand it needs to take a few years for somebody to become a legal resident because we've got to prove that they want to be here and that they're, they're, they're good folks. But we need to fix the laws to where it's easier to become a citizen. We need to make it easier to get a quote unquote green card. Uh, we need to fix the officials that are involved. I think that they're just from the, again, I have a lot of Hispanic friends. Some are legal, some are not. And the stories I hear between these guys, it's consistent. There's lots of lots of graft and corruption going on when it comes to these these uh, these types of issues with folks wanting to migrate here, just come up here just to work. I don't know. I don't like the idea that that someone can come up here from Mexico, have a baby in an American hospital, in an American hospital, all of a sudden that baby is taken care of for life as, as if it's an American. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying look into that. And, and see how often does that really happen. My my opinion, it happens a lot, but I don't know. But look into what's really going on there. What's the right way to do this thing? we got a great country, and I get tired of hearing how bad we are on TV and radio and Internet because there's not a better country than ours out there. There's not a there's not another country out there that could take care of a situation like that than we can. I don't like it that Mexico has incredibly harsh immigration rules. You can't go down to Mexico and have your baby there and let Mexico take care of your baby. I just want it fair. So as far as immigration, I don't want to uh, you know, just go ahead and pardon all the immigrants that are here and poof, they're, they're, they're legal. I don't want to do that at all because, again, that's I think that's also a big voting faction. I think that's the only reason the Democrats want to do that is they want to get the, the illegal uh, immigrants' votes. But I do think we need to change the policies, look at the policies, make it easier and less expensive to become a citizen if somebody wants to be. But I also think we need to look at the people that are involved in the process because, again, I know at the paperwork level that there's a lot of corruption going on based on stories I've been told from friends of mine who have actually been part of that process. What are challenges that your family faces? Financial. We make some pretty good money, and I wouldn't have thought we'd make the money we do and be, be strapped. One of my sons has graduated from college. One Another one's about to graduate from college. My youngest is 19. He's a year and a half into college. And we cannot afford to pay for their college. We, we make my wife and I together make over six figures. We, we make over a hundred thousand dollars total, and we we have a, a very relatively inexpensive house for the for the Dallas area. I'll tell you, it's a hundred ninety thousand dollar house. I pay about fourteen hundred dollars a month. Uh, I can't afford a new car. I cannot afford to pay for my boys' college. My oldest son got out of Texas A&M owing seventy thousand dollars. My middle son opted to go out of state. He's going to come out of OU in uh, uh, next month owing $110,000, of which they both are got, getting on school loans. My little guy, he's still in junior college. I can afford junior college. So economic challenges, for the money we make, it's expensive to live. Uh, we, we were 30 miles outside of Dallas, the downtown Dallas area, so we're almost in the country. We live fairly inexpensive. Like I said, we cannot afford a $30,000 new car. We cannot afford to put our boys through college. They had to get their own loans. Those are the challenges I face. The health care issue right now. I can handle that. My, well, I say that. My my oldest son's 26, so I couldn't keep him on my insurance, and he fell and cracked his head a few months ago, and he's okay, but there's been some 
follow-up issues. He's a teacher, and he's got school insurance, and he's, in the last four months, he's paid almost $4,000 in medical bills, and there's no surgeries involved there. It was just testing a CAT scan because he cracked his head and a night in the hospital because he's unconscious. But, you know, he makes uh, around $45,000 a year, and he just paid almost 10% of that in uh, just a few weeks uh, because he fell. Challenges for me financially, again, I think I make what should be pretty good money, but I can't afford a, a super nice house that uh, I don't have to be fixing up all the time. I can't afford a new car. I can't afford to put my kids through school. They had to do loans. Hey, I'm jumping us back to policy issues now because you mentioned student loans, and this came up also in the liberal interview. What do you, What are your thoughts as to a solution with the cost of college tuition these days? You know, I, 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 the problem is how expensive college got. And I'll tell you, here in Texas, if you go to one of the big schools, Texas University or Texas A&M, it's, it's right at $8,500 a semester, and that's just school. That's not books. That's not room. That's not board. It's, 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 that's just going to school. My wife got her master's about 14 years ago, and school was less than half of that. And I don't know about other states, but in Texas, why is the state school literally costing a fortune to go to school now? You know, I think back when I went to Texas A&M from 78 to 82, it cost me about $1,200 a semester, and that was including room and board. Why does it cost, you know, it probably, if you can't throw in a dorm or, or apartment or in food, it's probably a minimum of $12,000 a semester at, at a Texas university now. Why does it cost 10 times more to go to college now than it used to? Why does it cost twice as much as when my wife went to school 15 years ago? There's something wrong with the costs. Uh, and again, it kind of dovetails back to, to the, the lousy stuff on TV. As long as people pay it, they're just, the cost is going to keep going up and got to get an option somehow. I don't know what the answer is on that. But yeah, the, the college costs are, are way out of line. What are the worries that keep you up at night? <laughs> We've already talked a long time. <laughs> I worry about my children's future. I see this spiral of uh, integrity in our country. I've seen uh, our leadership get progressively worse and polarized. I am optimistic things when they get to be their worst, i.e. the Great Depression, we become our best and we come back from that. But I worry because the, the whole political correctness movement of the early 80s, it's really, it's muffled a lot of people's voice. A lot of a lot of folks, conservative and liberal, that are considered people, they don't want to speak their mind because they're afraid that they'll either A, hurt somebody's feelings or get called out for hurting somebody's feelings. So the biggest thing that keeps me up at night is, is my kid's future, is uh, what's, what's, what's in there for my three boys. Uh, I'll tell you too that uh, where I live out here in uh, north of Dallas is that I bought, we're uh, on an acre. And the reason I wanted an acre is because I am not convinced we will not have another Great Depression. The worst case, if we have a Great Depression again, or a second Great Depression, I've got enough land to where my family can live on this land with me and we'll be fine. Uh, I think we've forgotten as a country since World War II, we've really forgotten what it's like to just survive, at least us middle class folks. is that you know, I remember growing up that we were, we were worried about what we're going to have for our next meal. Is it going to be pork and beans again? Are we going to actually get to have a hamburger from Dairy Queen? I think we've really been spoiled, and even more so since 1980, we've really been spoiled with the wealth of this country that we've lost our roots. And I think where our country differs, differs from other countries is our ability to self-survive or to defend ourselves, not, not physically or militarily, but defend ourselves economically and, and, and to survive. We know how to survive. That keeps me up at night, too, is that in this future world for my sons and hopefully grandkids is what's the rest of the country going to look like? I could go into a lot more detail on that, but, but that's the biggest things that keep me up is my son's future.
Can you just define what you mean by the political correctness movement of the 80s? The best thing I can tell you is probably an example is, I think I may have told you this the other day, that I was in a store last year too. It was a, a drugstore and there's a single cash register open and I'm like number three or four in line. And whoever the number one person was, they were having some kind of an issue with their purchase. was uh, observant enough that he opened a second register directly across from that register and he said, I'll take the next person in line. And so rather than me or the two people in front of me move over there, a lady older than me and of a minority race behind me immediately scampered over to the front of the line. Before the political correctness, any one of us could have said, ma'am, I'm sorry, you're not next in line because she was just being rude and being very insensitive. Luckily, a lady in front of me said, ma'am, you're not next in line. You need to get back here. These guys here first. And that's what I'm talking about right there. The political correctness movement, it did start in the early 80s. It was proper in inception because there were lots of things going on back in the 60s that came up from the 60s that were inappropriate. But when this 80s political correctness movement started, we all got overly sensitive. And like I said, when this lady was behind me and pulled up and, and just walked right around me and three other people, I'm like, how rude. Well, she she deserved to be called out. She deserved to be, not not chastised, but she's somebody like that other lady that says, ma'am, I'm sorry, you're not next. These three people are. She deserved to be called out like that. And we don't do that anymore. And the problem is when you get a person like that, I guarantee it's not the first time she had done that. And it, she's, she's got a lifetime now of taking advantage of situations of people, and she thinks that's okay. And I see young people, old people, male, female, all races, all the time taking advantage of other people's kindness in that way. And that's what I mean when I say political correctness. It's this oversensitivity that we've developed because there was a need to some extent to have a little more sensitivity back in the early 80s. We just took it way too far. What are your hopes for your children and your family in the future? That they make lots of money and take care of their parents. <laughs> <laughs> I talked and telling the boys a long time is that I got just a few things I want you to do, and that's that I want you to be able to support yourself. I want you to be happy, and I'd rather you live in a, in a, in a house that can't be yanked away by a tornado. Other than those three things, I'm, I'm good. I, I think that nowadays... Kids grow up with, with such high expectations thrown on them by their parents. You know what? I, I know lots of parents that, oh, yeah, I want my kid to be a doctor, a lawyer. I said, okay, that doesn't address happiness. And I think that's the big thing is, is that, you know, people, well, I'll get off, off tangent on you again. So I'll just stand the kids. I just, I just want my boys to be happy and be able to take care of themselves. And that's it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning, you know, I, I thought once they got out of high school that, that the parenting stops. It doesn't ever stop. You know, I hope that they're always open to coming back to me and asking for, for help and assistance. You know, they know how I feel about things. You know, one thing I grew up being taught, you don't debate or you don't disagree with your parents. Well, that's completely wrong. You know, I want my kids to be smarter than me. I want them to do to have a better life than me. And that doesn't mean necessarily more money. I just want them to enjoy their lives more than I do. But I think too many parents raise their kids not understanding how to, to deal with adults as you get older. Because, you know, as you get older, it's hard to, to, to tell your mom and dad you're wrong, you know? And gosh, I've been telling my boys since I, they could understand what I said that I'm wrong all the time. Don't be uh, adverse to telling me that, that, Dad, I disagree with you or you're wrong. Just do it in a nice way. You said you want them to find happiness. How do you define happiness? It's different for everybody. Uh, and I think that's a problem right there, too, with our, our societies is that too many people think, okay, what Karen wants is what Mike wants. What Mike wants is what Karen wants. No, everybody's got their own happiness. And so with me... I had a pretty good dad, but, but my desire was to be a, a basketball coach, and he talked me out of that. And I have regretted that 
for a long, long time because I didn't know how to stand up to my dad back then. Now, I'll tell you, my, my semi-retirement plan is once I know that the boys are okay financially and you're out of college, my semi-retirement plan is I'm going to go be a basketball coach somewhere. I may be 75 years old, but I'm going to be a basketball coach before I pass away. Uh, so my happiness would have been that, be, being a, a basketball coach at a small school in East Texas. That would have left me happy as I'll get out. You have to find your own happiness. If your happiness is, is helping people, then be a social worker, a doctor, a nurse. If your happiness is making music, go do that. Know, however, that some of these directions to happiness may not make you enough money to survive. So you have to figure that out, too. Is okay, like uh, my little guy, wants to, he, he loves playing the drums, and, and he's struggling with, okay, what, what do I do where I can still play the drums since I'm probably not going to be a Ringo star? There's no quick answer to that happiness other than, you know, as you get into your teens and 20s, start asking yourself, what is it that makes me happy? What do I want to do in my life? And make sure that that's tempered with, i got to do something that's going to make me enough money to where I can survive. And what's your hope for the future of our country? Oh, gosh. You know, I just uh, get back to where we were, to where we understand that we're a great country and that we're not left and right. We are the only guy out there right now and for the foreseeable future that can help the rest of the world. My hope is that our, our leadership in D.C. will very soon understand that they've got to change the game plan for the last 20 or so years, that we've got to start working more as a unit and figure out better ways to compromise and set ourselves up to where we can continue to take care of the rest of the world. Because I think right now we're on a road to ruin. I'm confident we'll not get there, but right now I think we're in bad shape. And I just hope that we, our next group of leaders, will understand this and change the direction we're headed. What are mm-hmm. three things you wish we knew? Well, you know, again, that the, that the left, right, and the middle were all on the same team. And like I just said, is stop hating folks. Is it the, the definition of freedom is that guys can do what they want to. And we got to just understand that. And whether it's life choices or religion or the college football team you want to back, it's okay for those people to do that. You know, we, we are people that we're supposed to accept our differences. And, and then also that none of us are right about everything. Again, we kind of touched on it too. We just, we have such a society now where you got to be right about everything. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to say, oh, golly, Karen, you're right. You got me on that one. I didn't realize that. There's nothing wrong with being wrong. You don't learn without being wrong. That's kind of it. Thank you so much. You know what it is too, though? It's, 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 it's folks, folks that, that they're like you and like my cousin is that I told my cousin that, that she needs to get into politics because we need a new breed of people in politics. Hopefully, my middle son, my 22-year-old son, he's thinking about getting into politics, and he gets it. He, he, he sides with me on everything I just told you, and actually, he probably gets it a little more than I do. And we need a whole new group of politicians in there. When you edit these interviews, you have the opportunity to listen to them multiple times, and each time I listen to Mike, I feel I pick up something new. I hope you have learned something new and stretched a stereotype you held a wee bit. I couldn't help but notice how both the liberal and conservative perspectives I interviewed want politicians that are not at the extremes, but who will work with everyone. I think that is a lesson for all of us in daily life as well. It's not about having the best argument or about being right, but about being able to build consensus with those around us, even if we hold different opinions. If you're interested in hearing even more different perspectives, and I can't get these shows out fast enough for you... I have another great project that you should check out. My friends Jed and Michelle of IntentionalTravelers.com have recently started the Global Neighbor Project, which will have perspectives of others from around the world. Jed, Michelle, and I had a conversation about this podcast and their project 
about a year ago while at a cafe in Cambodia, and all of us had similar motivations that we can all throughout the world learn from one another. You can check out the start of their project at intentionaltravelers.com slash 10for10-news. I'll put that link in the show notes so you can find it there. But again, that's intentionaltravelers.com slash 10, the number, 4, the word, F-O-R, 10, the number, dash news. And one last plug, because it is Giving Tuesday. If you like what you've heard on the Wish You Knew podcast so far and want to help cover the costs for the show, the website hosting, the transcripts that make the show accessible to those who are deaf or hard of hearing, etc., there's a place that you can donate on the website. Under the button that says Add Your Voice, there's a place where you can support the show to help offset some of those costs. Until next time, remember, people are people are people. Keep listening, keep learning, keep loving. Have a great week.